15. Acts 15 in the Word of the Lord. One of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. <clears throat> Very important chapter in the New Testament. <clears throat> Something that was not only important for them in that early church, <clears throat> but also for us today. It's become more and more relevant for us as time goes along here as we move into the last days and you'll see what I'm talking about in just a minute the message today is passion beyond law passion beyond law look at your neighbor and say passion beyond law now let me tell you what that doesn't mean what it doesn't mean is that that uh, we are lawless <laughs> It doesn't mean that we are no longer in the Old Testament or, you know, should uh, look in the Old Testament and observe it and keep the things that are in it. And we'll explain that to you today. When you come to grace and law, that's a very, very, very heavy subject to look at because we are in grace and trying to figure out or understand how law fits in the time of grace is not an easy thing. Um, I have my mentor, Brother Dice, long time ago. I asked him this question. I said, Brother Dice, I said, how does law fit into our grace dispensation? And here's what he told me. And he's probably one of the greatest teachers I've ever heard. He said this, I don't really know. So that shows you the complexity of the issue of trying to understand how law fits in grace. I think he had a, 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 an understanding to a, to a point, but he told me as far as a whole, he didn't really know. So I've spent a lot of time looking into this area of the Word of God trying to determine what the Bible actually says. Because a lot of preachers today tell us that we have, no, you know, the law has nothing to do with us today. And so we're going to find out what does that mean in the Word of God, the law and grace. So let's look in chapter 15, verse 1. <clears throat> and certain men which came from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised... After the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria declaring the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy unto all the brethren and when they were come to Jerusalem they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders and they declared all things that God had done with them but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees notice this which believed these are Pharisees which believed. The Bible says, saying that it is needful to circumcise them, who? The Gentiles. And to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren. Now remember, he's got the keys to the kingdom. 
men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us, the circumcision, okay, Israel, and them, the uncircumcision, the Gentiles. You with me here? Now, I put that word circumcision and uh, uncircumcision in there because that's what they were known as the circumcision and the uncircumcision or the concision and the uncircumcised, all right? So we got Israel, we got Jewish believers, and we've got Gentile believers coming into the church. And so the <clears throat> meeting is about how the law fits into grace and how circumcision fits into this time of the gospel. And so anyway, the, uh, Peter's standing up here and he's talking to them. And he says again, verse 8, God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Which tells me that a Jewish man has to be the, saved the same way the Gentile man is saved. And the Gentile man is saved the same way the Jewish man is saved in gospel times. There's no distinction. Okay, you with me here? As far as salvation goes. Now that's what's important as far as salvation goes. But the Bible says, let me read verse 11 again. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence. And gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, this is of course Barnabas and Paul, James answered saying, now James is that Jerusalem Jew who's the half-brother of Jesus, the head of the church in Jerusalem. Very, very strong believer, and I'm just amazed at the man, actually. The Bible says, anyway, after the other place, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, or this would be Peter, Simon Peter, or Simeon, you know, James is so Jewish that he's got to use Peter's Jewish name. <laughs> he don't say Simon Peter. He says, Simeon. Now, that's his Hebrew name. So, James is Jew through and through, man. I mean, he won't even call Peter by, his gen by you know, Simon Peter. He calls him Simeon, his Jewish name. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Are you with me here? 
And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. We're going to look at prophets, the prophet Amos. He takes this prophecy from Amos. After this will I return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Now, is that an exhaustive area that he's giving us as far as our obedience is concerned? Is this all we have to do having come into the church and been born again? You have to take the Word of God as a whole. You cannot take and piecemeal one part here, one part there and say that this is everything because there's a lot more said in the New Testament than just this one thing. Okay. But anyway, we'll, we'll explain that to you in just a minute. He's taking this from the, from the Noah's covenant. Okay? Now, let me read again, verse 1. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols. Now, what is pollution of idols? Does that mean just, you know, where you bow down to an idol? No, 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 no. Has anything to do with paganism? Listen. Pollution of idols. And this is from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. We'll talk about these things. From Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Now, Paul went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day because that's when they met. And that's when he had opportunity to preach the gospel. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that Paul, well, as a Jew, he may have continued to keep Sabbath day. But I guarantee you, as a Jewish believer, he understood what the Sabbath day meant. You understand what I'm saying? But I'm trying to show you the reason why he went on the Sabbath day in the synagogue was to preach the gospel, not so much to keep the day. Now, now you've got to hear me here. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch. So we're going back to Antioch from Jerusalem now with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, which means son of the Sabbath. So they've got Paul, they've got Barnabas, they've got the son of the Sabbath with them now, Barsabbas. And they've also got Silas. Remember, Paul and Silas. Okay, I want you to keep that in mind because you're going to link that. Chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria. And Cilicia. See, I don't want you to move quickly over those names. Uh, think about Syria is the headquarters of the church at this point. Do you understand? Syria. I'm talking about right now Syria at one point was the headquarters of the early church. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you. Now watch this. 
Here's what James said. He tells them what's required. Then he tells them this about those that went out from them, which were, who's he talking about? Those Pharisee believers. These are not just unbelieving Pharisees. These are, these are Pharisees that are in the church. Okay? And they've left James's church, so to speak. And they've gone over in, into Antioch and they said, you know what? You need to be circumcised, keep the law of Moses. I know you're born again, but you still need to keep this. You need to become a Jew, basically, in order to be saved. And I mean, if, you, if, if somebody's coming from James's church and they're saying that, ooh, you got, I mean, that, those people have your attention. If you're coming from the Jerusalem church and, who, and, and James is the pastor there, you're going to listen to what those men are saying if you believe they were sent by James. You understand what I'm saying? Because James is extremely respected Jew. But were they sent by James? And were they sent by the Jerusalem church? To tell them that they needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Well, James explains here, For as much as we have heard, and by the way, you can put the, the book of Galatians right here in this chapter. The book of Galatians. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Now I lay stress on that because you get in the book of Galatians, sometimes you don't know, are these unbelieving Pharisees that are causing all the problem in the church? Or are they believing Pharisees that are causing all the problem in the church? And did they come from James? Did James send them? Or did they go on their own? He clearly tells us in this short passage that uh, the Bible says they gave them no such commandment. Are you with me? It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Of course, Barnabas' real name's Joseph, right? Yeah. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who for? For the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent them therefore Judas. And what is his name? Judas Barsabas. We sent the son of the Sabbath and Barnabas and Saul and Silas. Who shall also tell you, tell you the name. Or I'm sorry. The same things by mouth. For it seemed good <clears throat> to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That doesn't mean there's not other things, but he says these are necessary things. That you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled, say kosher, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare ye well. <laughs> awesome. So when they were dismissed, and I'm reading this very slow because this is so important for you to get. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, from where? Jerusalem. When they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. Now, when they stand up and they read that, 
that church in Antioch just starts running. <laughs> they worship, they're praising God, they're dancing, they're leaping, they're running, they're shouting. They are excited. Because they, you know, from what they heard by these previous men, they're going to have to get circumcised. Now, if you're an older man, you're praying to God that don't, that's not true. Hallelujah. In fact, if you're a little, little person, <laughs> you're praying that's not true. Which let's, let, me, let me tell you right now, for, you know, my, my son is circumcised, but he's not circumcised to make him Jewish. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? If you had a newborn son and he was born today, do you need to circumcise him? No. Ooh, that got quiet. Well, then why did I circumcise my son? Well, in my mind, my understanding was that, that, that there was health issues related to that. Okay? But that evidently is old teaching. These days, they say that it doesn't matter. Now, I don't know about that, but that's what they say. That it doesn't, it doesn't affect the health to not be circumcised or be circumcised. You with me here? So I'm just telling you, if you ever have another son... You know, Sister Cardoza, if you ever have another son, just if they want to circumcise him, you don't have to circumcise him, you know. And it doesn't even affect his health, really, you know. You never know. Sarah did. What are y'all laughing about? You don't know everything about her. You think you do. You don't know everything about her. Hallelujah. So y'all are with me, under, understanding there, right? That you don't have to do that. And it'd save them some pain. Mm, I'd still, I'd, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'd still make the decision what God told me to do. And so anyway, <clears throat> but continuing, the Bible says, so they're all excited, man. They're praising God. They're rejoicing. <coughs> you can understand. I can understand. The Bible says this, and Judas and Silas being prophets, they're prophets. Silas is a prophet who eventually is going to go with Paul in missionary journey. But he said this, he, they exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. With, of course, Paul and Barnabas are still there. Silas is going to stay there. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And someday, after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Barnabas determined to take with them John Mark, whose surname was, or John, whose surname was Mark. We know what happened next. Paul said, no way. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today, Jesus. God, you're so great, glorious in power and might. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for passion beyond the law. I give you glory and honor and praise today. Let it go forth, God, and touch every heart, God, giving instruction, God, to every soul. And I give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Amen. <clears throat> 
The Bible tells us in this chapter that men, uh, just reiterate a little bit, they come from Judea, the Jerusalem church there. They taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were not sent by James. They were not sent by the early church. They were not sent by God to do that. They are Pharisee believers. Looking at this and understanding the background, I believe that originally their background was in the school of Shammai. You had two schools in the Pharisee. You had Shammai and Hillel. Shammai was very, very strict. Shammai believed that you could not be saved as a Gentile without first becoming a Jew. He believed that you could not enter into the kingdom of heaven without becoming a Jew. Now, here's what's interesting. These Gentiles are getting born again of the water and the Spirit, and they're entering into the kingdom of God. So these believers in the church, Pharisee believers, who believe Shammai's teaching are going around and saying, Hey, we recognize that you've been water baptized in your name and filled with the Holy Ghost. But we believe, though, that in order for you to be truly saved, you need to go ahead and get circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So, in the sense, what they're saying is that you need to keep the law and be circumcised to be saved. That was the error. That was the error. Are you here? <laughs> Trying to keep the law to be saved was the error. Hillel, on the other hand, which many believe Paul was a part of his school of thought, Hillel taught just the opposite of Shammai. Hillel taught that you did not have to become a Jew to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and be saved. The majority of the New Testament Pharisees who got saved came from the school of Hillel. Some came from Shammai. It is believed that James came from the school of Shammai. I mean, he's Jewish to the core, man. You with me here? It is believed, again, that Paul came from the school of Hillel. So there, there, there's a conflict in the church. Who's right? Shammai's view or is Hillel's view right? Do you understand what I'm saying here? And that's the dispute. Okay, you've got Gentiles coming into the kingdom, but you've got Jewish believers that are there Still believing that you need to get circumcised and keep the law of Moses, keep the ceremonial law, etc. To be right with God. To be saved. Hello. That's the issue. Alright. Now. So the Bible tells us they, they bring this up. They, they leave Antioch. Paul and Barnabas. Leave Antioch. They go over to Jerusalem. They get over there in the church of Jerusalem with James and elders in the church. And they have this discussion in the church. They have this meeting. Are all these Gentiles supposed to get circumcised and keep the law of Moses? Now this has to be the ceremonial law. Everybody knows. I don't care if you're saved or, or you know, in the church or in the Old Testament. Before the church, the moral law of God must be kept. When you get in the church, it doesn't give you a license to go kill somebody, steal, and commit adultery. So the moral law is not in question here. 
even if you didn't steal and even if you didn't kill and even if you didn't commit adultery you with me here that still wouldn't put you in a safe position though hear me keeping the ceremonial law wouldn't put you in a safe position honoring your father and your mother not murdering not stealing you know what I'm saying not committing adultery etc if you did all of that you still wouldn't be saved so the issue is salvation hello are y'all here with me are you understand what I'm trying to get across here okay so they're going to discuss this they get together they're going back and forth here now these men didn't come from James but it has really stirred up the problem over in the Antioch church because this Antioch church has got a large number of Gentiles in it and they're wondering am I going to have to get circumcised and keep the ceremonial law not the moral law the ceremonial law you know do I have to observe the feast ultimately do I have to become a Jew <laughs> now here listen to me to become a Jew doesn't just mean circumcision though because if you are a Gentile Old Testament or New Testament if you're a Gentile and you get circumcised, all you are is a circumcised Gentile. If you're a circumcised Jew, circumcised as a Jew, you're a circumcised Jew. Amen. If you become an uncircumcised man, you are, by, by operation, of course, if you've already been circumcised, and you become uncircumcised by operation, then that means that all you are is an un, you have become an uncircumcised Gentile. If you are uncircumcised as a Jew because you don't want to be persecuted, there are men that have done that. So by surgery, you become uncircumcised. I don't know how. Don't look at me. I'm, I don't know how. But... If by operation you became an uncircumcised Jew, that's what you are, is an uncircumcised Jew. So then when we talk about becoming Jewish, we're not just talking about physical circumcision. We're talking about embracing Judaism as a faith. Uh, rabbinic Judaism specifically hello Shammai type teaching specifically are you here that you've got to be become a Jew to be saved now that means not just get circumcised but convert to Judaism rabbinic Judaism is not true Judaism true Judaism hello is Christianity So the problem is, is converting to Judaism. If you did that, then you would basically have to deny Christ if it was not the true Judaism or Christianity. You with me here? So you got two kinds of people in the church. Got the Jew and the Gentile. And they're both coming into the kingdom. And they're getting water baptized in Jesus' name. And they're getting filled with the Holy Ghost. And of course the Jews want to keep keeping the ceremony law. They want to keep observing the Sabbath. And they did. For a while in the early church. Okay, but do the Gentiles need to keep the Sabbath? And, of course, the Jewish believers, they want to keep keeping the feast, you know? Well, do the Gentiles need to observe the feast? Hello. 
Hello. Jewish believers saying, I believe we still need to be circumcised. Gentile believers saying, do I need to be circumcised? Wow. Do I need to keep the Sabbath day? And so these are issues that are going on. So we're not talking about converting to Judaism. I'm talking about their belief system. Hello. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, then they, they, they're discussing this here in the Jerusalem church. And so we have Peter stands up and he says, You know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. Hello, somebody. <clears throat> they weren't circumcised, but they got the Holy Ghost. They don't even know anything about the law of Moses, but they got the Holy Ghost. Amen. And, and so God put no difference between them and us purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our father nor, nor we were able to bear? We couldn't even keep the law. It's 613 commands. We couldn't even keep it to the letter producing salvation. We could not by our own good works, by keeping the letter of the law, get right with God. So how can we think that we can make the Gentiles get by right, right with God or get saved by keeping the letter of the law and being circumcised? We couldn't do it. Why do we think that they could or should do it? We got saved by grace through faith in, in Jesus Christ by the new birth. It was a gift from God. God granted, gifted, granted repentance. God gave the gift of the Holy Ghost so that repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost is not a work of the law. It is a gifting from God. And it's based in the finished work of the cross. So now why would you try to add a patch to this old, hello somebody, old law system here? Why do you want to add the law to this? Are you with me? Why do you want to take that old patch and add it to this new wineskin? Why do you want to try to put that in here now? We couldn't do it. They can't do it. We got saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ by the new birth. They got the Holy Ghost just like we did. They didn't get the Holy Ghost by keeping the law of God. They didn't get saved by because they were circumcised. They got saved based on the finished work of the cross. So there's something, there's a passion that goes beyond the law. Hello, somebody. Does that make sense? That does not mean, though, that we are lawless. And so we need, to, we need to, first of all, talk about what is the purpose of the law. Why was it given? It was not given to save me. It was not given to save you. It wasn't given to the Jew to save them. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, wow. Well, let me go through about 10 points with you. 
Number one, it is the law was given to, to be revealing or revelatory. The revelatory aspect of the law is still for us today. I'm going to put it to you like this. The law is still for us today. Not for salvation. It was never given for salvation. Never. Even in the Old Testament it wasn't given for salvation. Can you say by keeping the law? Nobody ever kept the law perfectly. But Jesus. To keep the law perfectly meant this. That not only your actions lined up with the word of God. But your words lined up. And your thoughts lined up. And there has never been anybody that thought 100% right. And said 100% right. And did 100% right. So all men stand condemned before God by that law. Because if, if you break one part of it, you have broken the law. Policeman pulls you over. You're driving down the road. You're driving 95 miles an hour. He pulls you over. You broke that law right there. But, but officer, I kept the rest of it. I didn't rob a bank this morning. I didn't, didn't kill nobody. Well, I'm not writing you a ticket for not breaking that part of the law. But you have broken the law in this one area. So now you got to pay the price. And the price for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. It doesn't matter if you just, you know, kept all of it but one part. You deserve death. And so do I. So the law didn't save me. The law condemned me to death. Because I might have kept 95% of it, but I broke 5%. Even if I have broke one-tenth of 1%, I still am worthy of death and damnation. Okay, but we still, now listen, you've got to understand the purpose of the law. It's placed even in the Old Testament. It's placed in, in, in the New Testament. Never given for salvation. But that's what they started teaching. Even today, the Jewish, Jewish people, many of them, believe that they can be saved by God through a system of works. Rabbinic, listen, Rabbinic Judaism teaches that you can be saved by good works, by obeying a system of rules. They teach it today. Wow. You don't have to have the blood of Jesus. You don't even need Jesus. If you're a Jew, you don't even need Jesus. All you need to believe is that you will have a Messiah. Oh, really? You're telling me that all you got to believe is that you will have a Messiah? And you don't have to believe that Jesus is that Messiah? And you don't have to believe that he shed his blood for your sin? That is the system of rabbinic Judaism that teaches today. You can be saved by works. Hello, everybody. I'm telling you the truth. <sighs> wow. In the Old Testament or New Testament, you, can ne you were never saved by the law. It condemns you. Okay, you hear with me. But the law was given <laughs> revelatory. The law in its revelation is still for us today. We as believers, born again believers, are not lawless. We cannot be lawless and think we're saved. Hear me today. Many will stand before me in that day. Saying, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out devils in your name. 
done many wonderful works in your name. Jesus then looks at them and says this. Depart from me, ye that work lawlessness or iniquity. The word is lawlessness. So there's going to be people that are standing before God who practice lawlessness. They were lawless people. He says, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. So we cannot think, even though we've been born again, that we can be disobedient to the law of God and be saved. You with me? The law didn't save me. I got saved by the finished work of the cross. But when I got saved by the finished work of the cross, I've got to obey the moral law of God. You understand that, right? doesn't give me a license to go out there and live in sin. Okay, so it's revelatory. It's still for us today. It still reveals things for us. Number one, what does it reveal? It reveals the holiness of God. Now, some of you might not agree with me, but you better get in your Bible. And you better make sure that if you think I'm wrong, you better make sure that I'm wrong. And about what? About, I'm saying that, yeah, we're born again. We're not saved by the law. But once we get born again, it doesn't give us a license to disobey that moral law of God. Show me where it ever tells us that. Show me where the, we are exempt from the word of God. Show me. We are not exempt from the word of God. So it reveals the holiness of God. It reveals the unholiness of man. Holiness, the standard of holiness is the same. It never changes. If God hates something in the Old Testament, He still hates it today. You can't say, well, God hated it in the Old Testament, but I'm not under the Old Testament law now. So now, because that's in the Old Testament, He hated it then, He don't hate it now. If He hated it then, He hates it today. If it was an abomination to God then, it's an abomination to God now. He hasn't changed what He hates. In the law, there are certain things that are, that are an abomination to God. There are certain things that are an abomination to you. That are not good for you. Doesn't mean God hates them. But it means it's not, it's not good for you. You understand what I'm saying? Got it. There's a distinction there. So it reveals the holiness of God and the unholiness of man. Still today. Give God some praise. <clears throat> It reveals to us the basis of fellowship with God. Not relationship, not salvation in a sense, although it's there typically. It shows us how to stay in fellowship. Listen to me. You can be a born-again believer, but if you're walking in sin, you are not walking in fellowship. You might be saved, you might be still a child of God right now, but if you are walking in sin and disobedience to the Word of God, then you are not walking in fellowship. Because He, oh, you're not hearing me. 
You with me? I'm married to my wife. And she's married to me. But I can strain that relationship. I'm still married to her, but there's times I'm in the doghouse sleeping. Which means my fellowship, my, some people say fellowship. <laughs> my fellowship has been affected. I am married to him. I'm in covenant with him. But sin separates you from God until you get it confessed and under the blood and you repent of that. It separates you in fellowship. You might still be a child of God for a while, but you keep living in unconfessed disobedience and sin under God. I'll tell you where you're going to find yourself, and that's in hell. If you don't believe that, then you believe that old Baptist doctrine, once saved, always saved. So it reveals to us the basis of fellowship. Say fellowship with God. Man, I want to I please the Lord. Give God a hand clap praise. <clears throat> Galatians 3 tells us. That the purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ. Because once you find out the holiness of God, what He requires, and you see your unholiness, you say, how did I get up there? Okay. Well, the Bible says it's to lead us to Christ. So when I realize the law says, you know, it's condemned me, it tells me I'm a sinner. It defines for me sin, and it shows me my need for a Savior, and hence it drives me to Christ for salvation. It's a schoolmaster that leads me to Christ. The law gets me by the back of the neck and says, come here, little boy. You need Jesus. <laughs> you see seen the holiness of God, the unholiness of man. Are you with me here? And it's to lead you to Christ. Look, never say, lead me to Christ. Man, I thank God the law led me to Christ. Got the point? Number five, the law was Israel's national constitution. Israel's national constitution. Hello? Y'all doing okay out there? Whew. Y'all all right? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to give you a little time here. Number six. It showed us a, a set-apart priesthood that was supposed to be a light to the world, separated unto God. It showed them how to live a set-apart life. It's not unlike the New Testament epistles. That once you get born again in Acts, Romans through Jude tell you how to live after you get saved. The epistles, in a sense, are the constitution of the church. Hello? So Israel got their constitution after they were redeemed by blood. God's showing them what, you know, they needed to do to live. Amen. In fellowship with Him and live a set-apart life to be a light unto the world. Are you with me? Number seven. 
in that law was given, Leviticus 1 through 7, was given sacrifices. Through which man could approach God when they sinned. Free will offerings and non-free will offerings. Non-free will offerings was for sin and transgression. Free will offerings were offerings you brought to God. Offerings of dedication. Offerings of commitment. Free will offerings. You with me here? Wow. Non-free will offerings deal with the sin of man. They only cover. Free will offerings deal with your devotion to God. Okay. Wow. So by the blood... Even in the law, we see by blood, man can approach this holy God. But his sin has to be atoned for. It has to be covered. Even in the law. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. God's good, isn't he? Number eight. In the law was given feast of worship. Feast of worship, right? Passover is one of them. Unleavened bread. First fruits, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, Seven Feasts of Worship, Feast of the Lord, and associated with that, another festival called the Sabbath. Sabbath day, sabbatical year, and jubilee. Y'all, if you're here Wednesday night, you understood the 490 years of Daniel, Daniel's 70th week, based in jubilee, ten times Ten Jubilees. We talked about that. Okay, y'all with me here? I know this is probably born to tears, but I got to give it to you. <laughs> Showing you the purpose of the law. Number nine, it was given to test man's relationship to God. It was, listen, it was given to test man's relationship with God. Deuteronomy 28. If you have true faith, True faith produces obedience to the word. You can't say I've got faith and have no works. You can't say I've got faith and have no obedience. Your faith is dead being alone. Okay. So watch. Dead works are, is this. Dead works is when I try by my good works, by keeping the law, to be saved. That's dead works. You with me? Living works is what is produced from and by a person who is really saved. Woo, hallelujah. I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll show you that I am saved by my works. My, oh, hello. My works can never produce my salvation. But if I'm really saved, I'm going to have root works that prove it. So watch this. It, the law is given then basically to show us a test. A test of our relationship to God. Faith equals obedience. Obedience brought blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham's covenant. Obedience brought the blessing of Abraham. Disobedience brought the curse of the law. 
still today. Now, what about Jesus who became a curse for us? He did become a curse for us. He died. He took that sin upon him. But listen, just because you're a born-again believer does not mean that you can disobey God and still be blessed. Because the only way you can be blessed is by obedience. Faith produces obedience, and obedience produces blessing. And if you've got true faith, it's going to produce the works, the obedience, and you'll be blessed. If you're a child of God, though, and you sin against God, that God, I'm not saying God curses you. I'm saying you put yourself under a curse. Even now, in the grace dispensation, you still put yourself under a curse. Put your finances under a curse. Put your life under a curse. Put your family under a curse. Still today. It's not cheap grace and it's not a license to sin. Hello. I know he redeemed me from the curse of the law. As long as I'm walking in the spirit. But because there's something beyond the law. See, the Spirit takes you beyond the law. Water baptism in Jesus' name mystically takes you beyond the law. But you have to walk in that covenant. You have to walk in that finished work. You've got to walk in the Spirit. As long as you're walking in the Spirit and walking in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus is going to keep on cleansing you. But if you're not walking in the light and walking in the Spirit, then you go back underneath the effect of the law because you're no longer beyond the law. And as long as you are in law, law brings its effect upon you. You've got to hear what I'm saying. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. If you are in the law of poverty... If you are poverty stricken, hello, <clears throat> then you are in the law of poverty right now. Hello. As long as you are in poverty, then you are affected by its laws. But once you get out of poverty, you're no longer affected by the law of poverty because you've gone beyond the law of poverty. So as long as you're walking in the Spirit, then the Spirit takes you beyond the law. As long as the water baptism in your name took me beyond the law. But I've got to walk in that relationship. Hello? If I stop walking in the Spirit, I go back into the things God has delivered me from. God says I've gone back into bondage. I'm bound. I'm in a yoke of bondage because I've walked back in the flesh. I walked back into what God delivered me from. If you start walking back into things that God delivered you from, you have entered into a yoke of bondage in your life. And you're no longer beyond the law. Now, God's going to judge you for that sin until you get it confessed, get it under the blood. Hello? And start walking in the light as he's in the light. Then the blood will just keep on cleansing you. Hello. <clears throat> I've got a passion beyond the law. And that's to walk in the spirit. To walk in the light. So his blood will just keep on cleansing me every day. 
his spirit. I travel by spirit. Beyond law. But if I'm not traveling in spirits, then I'm falling back into condemnation. And so I'm trying to show you that it tests your relationship. Faith, obedience, blessing. Unbelief. Disobedience. Curse. <clears throat> Hello, somebody. Y'all all right out there? <coughs> Number 10. It reveals Jesus, the law. I'm giving you the purpose of the law. It reveals Jesus, His person, and His work. So that these aspects I just gave to you is how the law is applied. God is awesome. Is this helping y'all today? <laughs> so the question here is not about, you know, born-again believers needing to continue to obey God's word that's found in the law. The question is, are they saved by being circumcised and keeping the law? That's the issue here in that church. But people have taken the word of God and they twisted it. And they say, hey, Christians, because we're no longer under the law, the Old Testament God, what he hated then he don't hate now. All that bunch of trash and stuff that goes on in pulpits today, that's not biblical. What they've got to understand is that it's the Holy Ghost. Peter said, hey, God gave them the Holy Ghost. And when he gave them the Holy Ghost, it took them beyond the law. And as long as you go, if, if you're not in something, if you're not in the law of poverty, if you're beyond the law of poverty, then you don't have the effects of poverty. What is the effects of the law? Condemnation. When I say I've been delivered from the law, I've been delivered from the condemnation of the law. What have I been delivered from? The condemnation of the law. Number two, seeking to be righteous by the law. That's what I've been delivered from. But I have not been delivered from obedience to God's holy word. Hello, somebody. In fact, when the Spirit of God came in inside of me, He took me beyond the effects of the law. I'm no longer con condemned by the law. I'm no longer trying to find righteousness by the law. When I was water baptized, it mystically took me beyond the law. But watch what God says. He said, I'm going to take my law and I'm going to put it in your inward parts. He didn't say, I'm going to throw it all away. He said, I'm going to put it inside of you. Now, not only am I going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to give you the power to do it by the Spirit. There's something greater than trying to be saved by good works. It's letting God write them on the tables of your heart. Give you the power to keep, obey His Word by that by that new birth. Are y'all okay? God's good. So by the Spirit and by water baptism in Jesus' name, I have been taken beyond the law. I've been be taken beyond the effects of the law. Hallelujah. That's good news, man. Oh, yeah. So that's, we're talking about the moral law. But again, <clears throat> dead works would be for me to stand up here and tell you 
that if you will grow your hair to a certain length, if you will wear your dress to a certain length, if you will keep your hair short, men, come on, if you will quit, if you'll quit swimming with bow-legged women, men, other than your wife, you will be saved. No, 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 no. You must be born again of the water and the Spirit. And if you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you will live holy. You will find out what God requires in His Word to live holy before Him. Not because you're trying to get saved, but because you are saved, it produces a holiness of life. Jesus said this, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He also said, except you be holy, you cannot see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God. Man, holiness is just as important as the new birth. But you can't get them this way. Good works before new birth and think it's producing salvation. And even after you've been born again, you've got to understand the reason why you let your hair grow long, women, and the reason why you, 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 know, you look right and you do right, men, women, whoever you are, is because you are saved. And it proves that you're saved. Because if you don't have the marks that's proven it, then you're probably not, not only probably not, you're not saved. Woo! Give God a hand clap praise. <coughs> Now, so we know we're, the moral law still must be obeyed. Hello? But thank God I don't have to be circumcised and keep the law to try to produce salvation. Woo, God. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Not one jot or tittle will pass. See, you've got to understand what the purpose of the law was the whole time. And I just gave it to you. Okay. Now, this is the discussion. And so we find out then, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this to you in just a moment, the, the passion beyond the law. But we have to understand then James is there and he makes a decision. Okay. He says, this is necessary. Not that the moral law was not necessary. Not that, you know, I can prove it to you by Romans 13. That the moral law is still binding in the church today. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, all of that. That's in the New Testament too. <laughs> I can't find where it tells me as a Gentile to keep the Sabbath in the New Testament though. But I can find those moral laws in the New Testament. So this is not an exhaustive list, okay? Okay. <laughs> Okay, let me show you. Here's what he says. Here's his decision here, James. This very, very Jewish man. He tells us, yeah, all right. Well, we know Peter said that through, through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. How? By faith, right? The Bible goes on and tells us, okay. Wow. Now, he's going to quote a prophecy in the Old Testament. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, okay? The Bible says this. <clears throat> verse 19, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, 
from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Where is he getting that? He just, did, did, did the Holy Ghost just, boom, give him some brand new thing? No. Genesis 9, 1 through 7. Is this helping anybody? Well, hallelujah. If you only knew how long it took to process understanding. Go ahead. And God blessed Noah and his sons. And God blessed Noah and his sons. Now watch. This is beyond the flood. And again, water baptism is a picture of recreative acts in the Old Testament. Water baptism points back to the recreation in the days of Noah. These people have already come through the flood. The sin had been washed away. The filth of the old earth. The old creation has passed away. A new creation has come in. And so after this new creation time by after water baptism. In new creation time. Here's what God tells Noah that's universal. It's human government and it's still for us today. Go ahead. That's why James picks this up and says, this is still for us today. Go, go. And said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth. And upon all the fishes of the sea into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Oh, what's that? Now, go ahead. Even as a green herb have I given you all these thi- all things. But the flesh with life thereof, which is the blood thereof, ye that shall That sounds not familiar. Yes, amen. Go ahead. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Got it? In the New Old Testament... James quotes from this covenant that was given to Noah. Now, I don't have time to go through all of this. If you want a copy of this, I give it to you. These are the seven laws of Moses. This covenant, Moses, Noah, (laughs) seven laws of Noah. Listen, this is a universal covenant. It's something that men in the church, outside of the church, Jew or Gentile still is required by God to keep. It's universal. That's where James is getting this. Covenant with Noah. Hello? Now, Genesis 3 and on through there it gives them. But I want to run through them real quick. Number one, blasphemy. You are forbidden to blaspheme God. Inside the church, outside the church, Jew or Gentile. You are forbidden to blaspheme God. And there's a long list underneath that. I don't have time to get into all of that. There's a long list under blasphemy. What does that mean? Based in the seven laws of Noah. Well, just to make it a few. To acknowledge, you must acknowledge the existence of God. You must fear God. You must pray to Him. You must sanctify His name. You must uh, not desecrate His name. You must study the Word of God. You must honor the teachers. And you must not blaspheme. Number two. Idolatry. We, remember? 
Acts 15. Idolatry against entertaining the thought that there exists a deity except the Lord, against making any graven image, against making idols for use by others, against making any forbidden statues, against bowing to any idol, against worshiping idols in any of their customary manners of worship, against causing our children to pass through the fire. Well, hello. And worship them against the practice of the occult. Against turning to idolatry in word, thought, and deed, or by any observation that may draw us to its worship. Number three law, theft. It teaches against stealing, against committing robbery, against shift, uh, shifting a landmark, against cheating, against repudiating a claim of money owed, against overcharging, against coveting, against desiring. A laborer shall be allowed to eat of the fruits among which he works. Against the laborer eating of such fruit, against the laborer taking of such fruit home, against kidnapping, against the use of false weights and measures, against the possession of false weights and measures, that one shall be exact in the use of weights and measures, that a robber shall return the stolen object. Number, the next one, homicide. You kill somebody by man, you'll be put to death. Homicide, that's self-explanatory, right? The other one, the other law, illicit intercourse. Against a man having union with his mother, against a man having union with his sister, against a man having union with his wife, the wife of his father, against a man having union with another man's wife, against a man copulating with a beast, against a woman copulating with a beast, against lying carnally with a male, a man lying carnally with a male, excuse me, against a man lying carnally with his father, against a man lying carnally with his mother's brother, his father's brother, against engaging in erotic conduct that may lead to a prohibition uh, union. That is petting by persons whose marriage would be illicit. Man is, you don't even want to stir up the desire of the person. And number seven, court of justice is to be established. So the law today, not only is the moral law of God still applicable today, but the law of men. Romans 13 tells us in that same chapter 13 of Romans, we have the moral law of God listed. And then we have the law of man listed. It says, hey, you, you've got to obey the powers that be. Because the powers that be are ordained of God. But, but pastor, I'm in a church. I'm in a different kingdom. I don't have to obey the law of land. You're stupid too. You are disobeying God. You have, to keep the, you have to obey the laws of the land. And if you break the law, pay the price. You know, I can break a law of man and not break a law of God. Oh, God. Yeah, I know, y'all, but, but you need this. Hello. I, I don't, you're not running and shouting and hanging from the vines. But. but if I break the speed limit, okay, in a sense I come under conviction, not because I broke God's law. God didn't set the 75 mile an hour speed limit. Man said it. So if I break the law of man, doesn't mean I've sinned against God. And I've broken His law. I broke the law of man. If it get caught, I pay the price. Hello? But I still come under conviction because I want to be a good citizen. Because <laughs> if you're a lousy citizen, you'll be a lousy church member. Amen. Ooh, boy, I feel the <laughs> I'm trying to show you the difference between the law of God and the law of man. Okay, so if, if the law of man contradicts the law of God, then I have to obey the law of God. Hello. Amen. But in the seven laws of Noah, there is a mandate for man to set up a judicial system in the earth. 
Well, I'm sorry. Courts of justice to appoint judges, officers in each and every community to treat the... I told you I wasn't going to read all this, but I have to. <laughs> to treat the litigants equally before the law, to inquire diligently in the testimony of a witness against the wanton miscarriage of justice by the court, against the judge accepting a bribe or gift from a litigant, against the judge showing marks of honor to be one... Uh, to but one litigant against the judge acting in fear of a litigant's threats against the judge out of compassion favoring a poor litigant <laughs> against the judge discriminating against the litigant because he is a sinner against the judge out of softness putting aside the penalty of murder or killer against the judge discriminating against a stranger or an orphan against the judge hearing one litigant in the absence of the other against appointing a judge who lacks knowledge of the law against the court killing an innocent man Against discrimination by circumstantial evidence, against punishing for a crime committed under duress. That the court is to administer the death penalty by the sword, decapitation. (laughs) Against anyone taking the law into his own hands to kill the perpetrator of the capital crime, to testify in court, against testifying falsely. Against eating a lamb severed from a living animal. And this deals with the, the next law here. That was, well, this would be number seven. The limb of a living creature against eating a limb severed from a living animal, beast, or fowl, against eating the flesh of any animal which was torn by a wild beast, which in part prohibits the eating of such flesh as was torn off an animal while it was still alive. So James is taking his teaching from this covenant made with Noah and he applies it to everybody that's in the church. But I want you to know this is universal. Just because you're not in the church doesn't mean you can blaspheme the name of God. I'm so sorry you're so bored by this. This this took me years. But anyway, hello. That's my job. So the moral law of God, the seven laws that are connected with, with Noah are binding upon us. Amen. Going back to 15, he talks about just a few of them. He says, from pollution of idols. Again, pollution of idols. Man, that, that to me speaks volumes. That has to do with paganism in any form. You get involved. Well, from fornication and things strangled and from blood. Well, y'all know what those first three pretty much are about. We talked about them briefly. But let's go over here to 1 Timothy 4. And let's look about this. Let's talk about eating. Eating. Say eating. eating. You want to talk about eating? First <laughs> Timothy four, if I can find it, is in the New Testament, isn't it? Let me see. First Timothy four one through four. Now I'm fixing to make you drop your uppers. See, there's certain aspects of food, God says, that we're not to eat. Don't eat blood of the animal. You need to slaughter the animal. Don't eat the blood of the animal. Don't eat an animal that's strangled, you know, that's half alive. Go over there and cut a piece of meat off of him. If his arm's been severed, you know, don't go pick the arm up. Go cook it. Eat it. Hello. Don't kick, go over there and pick up roadkill on the highway. Barbecuing for dinner. Now watch this. 
Now the Spirit speaking the Spirit, the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving some, departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats. We are commanded to eat meat. In that Noah covenant, we are commanded to eat meat. It's not just that you can eat meat. You're commanded to eat meat. Now that doesn't mean if you don't eat meat that you're sinning against God and you're immoral. That's not the point. You are commanded to eat meat. Now watch this. Forbidding to marry and commanding. But they said they're commanded to abstain from meats or foods. Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. But verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Now what in the world? How does that tie in with not eating blood and things that are strangled? Are we still obligated not just to keep the moral law of God, not just to keep the law under Noah that's universal? And are you with me here? But are we not, are we supposed to also keep the dietary law? I'm trying to show you what's required of us in the church. Is it okay for you to go out there to your hog today, shoot him between the eyes, go over there and cut a big old leg off, hold it up and watch the poison drip out of the leg? Yummy. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. Is that okay? It's not moral. It's not immoral. Did you hear what I said? It's not moral or it's not immoral. God says this though. He says here that we're not to forbid, you know, eating meats. Okay. But what is he saying? The word meat there are food. Get ready to drop your jaw. Some of you might don't want to hear this. What's he saying? You know, I read that. I said, well, God, you did say that we can eat every creature as long as we offer thanksgiving. And the Holy Ghost said to me, he said, yeah, man's a creature, but do you want to eat him? Are you a cannibal? I just cut your leg off, brother, and have you for lunch, man. <laughs> Father God, I, I sanctify this. In the name of Jesus. Woo! I feel the Holy Ghost. I fix I eat me a good leg. <laughs> Whew. Honey, how you like that nose? Woo! Best nose I ever. <laughs> but it does say every creature. Let me read it again. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. What is he talking about? He's not saying that you can't forbid to eat certain meats. Now watch. The word there, and I looked up the word, 
meet there is B-R-O-M-A, Broma. Broma. It is, it means meets permitted by the Mosaic law. So God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't say you can sit down and eat anything you want to, anytime you want to. Just as long as you give thanks to God for it. Every creature, the lizard. <laughs> Hello? You know what I'm saying? Well, it's okay because I just got, I, all, all God requires me to do is, is to pray over it and raise it, you know, sanctify it and just, ooh, change this from a lizard to a, to a uh, T-bone. Yeah. Ooh, Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost, man. Look at that thing changing to a problem, man. It's got... Good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Now, watch this. I am not to stand up here and, for, and to preach to you or to teach you that you can't eat meats that God said you could eat. But I can stand up here and tell you what he said was not good to eat. Because the word is linked to what God said man could eat. But there are people who are forbidden men to eat what God said they could eat. Yeah, don't get hung up with me. On this, I'm not saying it's moral or non-moral. I'm not saying I'm 100% kosher. <laughs> I don't eat blood. My point is this, though. If you sit down with me out there in the dining hall and you eat a big old you know, slab of ribs, I'm not going to look at you and say, you're going to hell. But I will look at you and say, oh, I can't believe you're eating that. <laughs> I can't believe you're eating that hog. They have a very, very poor elimination system. In fact, they almost have a zero elimination system, basically. And they'll go and eat poop off me. I'm in church. They'll go eat all kinds of stuff off the, off the ground. And you're going to sit down and chop down. But I'm sanctified in the name of the Lord. I think I'd rather eat a human. Because I've never seen a human eat, 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 eat. <laughs> I look at you and I pray for them, God. Now, you got the point. You got the point. You got the point. Go ahead. If you want to eat it, pray over and eat it. Hallelujah. <laughs> but what I'm trying to show you is that what he's talking about here is forbidden to eat meats or commanding to abstain from meats is people who are commanding men to abstain from things that God said man could eat. Woo! Word study dictionary by Spiros Zariates, one of the greatest Greek scholars who, who I know is alive today. Read it for yourself, honey. It's right there. <clears throat> the people of God are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But 
I got water baptized. You said got filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'm beyond the law, so I can eat whatever I want to eat. Okay, go ahead. Kill yourself. I'm beyond the law. I can sin, commit adultery, and everything else. No problem, man. I'm beyond the law. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. We are delivered from its condemnation. We're delivered from its, come on, from our trying to seek to be righteous by it. Wow. Thank God didn't have to get circumcised. Aren't you glad you came to church today and found out you did that, you know? Aren't you thankful today? Hello, somebody. <laughs> that I didn't stand up here and got a brand new revelation from God. You, you men are not circumcised. You're going to have to go get yourself circumcised. <laughs> Aren't you glad <laughs> that I didn't find some Greek word? <laughs> I want you to understand something though here. Listen. That even in the Old Testament law, there were certain laws that were given to certain people. And if you were not under that specific law, you were beyond it. You have to understand there was a time that man was uh, lived before the law of Moses. And there's a time when men live after the law of Moses. They're beyond the law, and because that, they've lost, the effects of the law is not on them. Condemnation. Now watch. In the Old Testament law, there's certain laws that apply to only certain people. You can't break a law that has not been given to you. Certain laws given to men, you've got to be circumcised. The woman can't keep that law. So what she would do is she would go through a, an immersion ceremony. She'd be water baptized even in the Old Testament to enter into that covenant. And men would be circumcised. My point is this. There are, if the law was not given to you, you can't break it. And there's certain things that were given to Israel that I'm not even as a Gentile required to keep like the Sabbath day, the sabbatical year, year of Jubilee, etc. They're fulfilled in Christ. So I'm not breaking it. Because it wasn't given to me. Hello. If it wasn't given to you, you can't break it. Certain laws that were given to Levites. If they broke it, they broke the law. But if you weren't a Levite, you couldn't break what wasn't given to you. If you weren't a priest... There are certain laws given to the priest that the Levi couldn't break because you can't break what's not given to you. And there are certain laws given to the high priest that the priest can't break because those laws weren't given to the priest but to the high priest. So you had to be given the law in order to break the law. But you can do this. You can break the law by trying to keep what wasn't given to you. Let me say it again. You can break the law by trying to keep that which wasn't given to you. What time is it? Example. A king named Uzziah says, I sure would like to go in there and offer incense. 
Who do they think they are anyway by restricting me? I'm the king. I want to go in there and offer incense like the priests do. Well, he walked in there because that command wasn't given to him. When he tried to keep a command that wasn't given to him, God struck him with leprosy. And the priest said, no, Isaiah, don't do that. Don't go. No, 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 no. Boom, struck with leprosy. He wasn't commanded to do that. So you can, there's, listen, you can't break a law that wasn't given to you. But you can break a law by doing it if it wasn't given to you. Another example, number 16. I think that was 2 Chronicles 26. Y'all check me on that on Isaiah. Number 16. There were some Levites who wanted to be priests. And when they tried to enter into that operation of priesthood, being Levites, they were judged by God, number 16. So you can break the law by trying to keep that which wasn't given you. Okay, y'all with me here? Okay, hallelujah. So I gave you a lot of understanding about the law and grace today. Then I'm water baptized and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. It took me on the, beyond the condemnation of the law. It took, it, it, I don't have to try to keep the law to be saved. But once I got born again, I need to find out what God requires of me. Amen. And what I gave you today is not even, it's, it's not the, the whole thing. Because I could tell you today, don't do witchcraft. Don't be a sorcerer. That's in the Bible. Amen. Still for us today. So anyway, we're trying to give some common sense things here too. But having said that, let me get into this beyond the law message. A passion for being beyond the law. Hello. Acts 15. I'll close. About an hour and a half from now. I just gave some people a heart attack. Lord, forgive me. I, I wish I, you know... Sister Carolyn Sanders says, you know, she, she believes that I'm a man of God, and, but she also knows I'm very human, and she's so right. <laughs> but anyway, here we go. Here's what he says, and he quotes from an Old Testament prophecy. Passion beyond the law. That if you are not, listen, there's got to be something beyond the law. You have to have a passion for that. Right. Ooh, I'm having a good time. Here's what he says. Simeon, James says, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to disagree the words of the prophets, as it, is, as it is written, After this I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Go to Amos. The Lord said this to me last night. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to look at Amos chapter 9, where James is quoting from. I want you to see what I said in that passage. 
he starts out. Amos starts out in chapter 9. And the Bible says he sees the Lord standing upon the altar. Now watch this. The law condemns men to death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what we have in this chapter is we see the Lord standing on the altar. That's a picture of Calvary. That's a picture of the finished work. And so now in Acts 15, we see Peter standing up and said, Hey, let me tell you, the Gentiles got the Holy Ghost as well as we did. And they were saved by faith, by grace of, in Jesus Christ. They got saved by the blood of Jesus. They didn't get saved by trying to keep the law. The law condemns them. And so Amos, he sees the Lord standing upon the altar. The altar is a picture of the cross. Now as we go through here then, he says this. Smite the lintel of the door and the posts may shake. Cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with a sword. He that fleeth them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth from them shall not be delivered. Now watch this. This is powerful. What he's telling us here is this. If you escape the sword, if you escape the word of God, you will not be delivered. Now there's two ways to look at this passage. God is seen here judging. He's seen here shaking the temple of God, the physical structure. He's seen shaking it, but he's standing upon the altar. He's seen with a sword. And he says, watch this. He says it will come upon the heads of the people. So when he starts shaking the temple, that thing's going to start falling apart and land on the worshipers there in that temple. Now watch this. He is going to slay them with the sword. Now, I got news for you. On the one hand, that doesn't sound too good. But on the other hand, it's good news. Because notice the terminology he uses there. He says, if they escape, they will not be delivered. See, I want you to know right now, you want to be delivered. You don't want to escape this sword of the Word of God. If you come to church and the convicting power of God hits your sin, if you run out the door and try to escape the convicting power of God in His Word, you will not be delivered. But if you will sit there and let the Word of God take your head off, if you will let the Word of God convict you of your sin, bringing you to a place of repentance and bringing you to a place where you recognize the one who's standing upon the altar that by the blood of Jesus you can be saved the law condemns you you know you deserve to die but Jesus is standing there by the altar to redeem you by blood you want to be delivered by the sword you want to get the old nature cut You want to be circumcised by the Word of God. You want to be circumcised in the inward man. There's something beyond the law. It is the circumcision uh, that's made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Being circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with Him in baptism. There's something beyond physical circumcision. And it's a spiritual circumcision. When you want to baptize mystically, you are taken beyond the law and it's condemnation give God praise 
And every time you come to the house of God, you are literally getting your head taken off by the word of God. What for? So you'll stop doing your own thing and you'll start doing his thing. You'll cease from your own labors and enter into his rest. So God's judgment is always seen. Law or this time of grace is always seen to restore men. When he comes to you with a word of judgment from his word, he brings it to you not to see you lost, but he brings, I know some of you are dead sitting in the pew, but he brings it to you so that you can get restored, so you can get right with God. If you escape the sword, you will not be delivered. But if you'll hear the word of God when it comes and repent, get under the blood of Jesus. I broke your law. I broke the moral law, God. I need you to forgive me, Lord. Get under the blood. Get water baptized. Go beyond the law. Get filled with the Holy Ghost and traverse beyond the law by the Spirit. You've got to have a passion for this. And then he goes on and he talks to him some more. He says this. He said, though they dig into hell, then shall I, my hand take them. You're talking about God's people here. You're talking about covenant people here. You, if you're the covenant people of God, these words still apply to us today. Give God some praise. Thence, and though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command this serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall them. And I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Here it is, it's for evil and not good. Now what God is showing you here is this, is that when he comes in a day of the Lord type move, when he comes in a day of the Lord type move, he always comes to sit on his throne in judgment. He always comes to separate the wheat from the chaff. He always comes to separate the wheat from the tares. He always and ever is a separator. He gets rid of the filthy. He gets rid of the sinner if they refuse to repent. He'll get rid of them. He'll judge them. Give God praise. He comes there to judge, but he comes to save too. Ooh, God's awesome. Now, that's why he's seen standing upon the altar there. Now, watch this. It's still the same way today. He goes on, he says this in verse 5. And the Lord God of hosts, say the Lord of hosts. That's the most holy God. That's the God that's sitting upon the throne. That's, listen, the seventh day, the rest of God, the seventh day, is when God sits upon his throne. It's when God moves in a judgment type way. It's when he separates the sinner from the righteous. 
But he's the one standing there saying, come to me and I'll redeem you by blood. Come to me and I will restore you. But if you don't come to me, then I'm going to judge you and set you aside. Because I'm coming in judgment, but I'm coming to bring salvation by the... Oh, God's good. He's the most holy God. Now watch this. He that toucheth the land and he... It shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn. It shall rise up holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heavens. It is he that has spheres in the heavens. It is he who has ascensions in the heavens. It is he who has dimensions in the heavens. Hello, heaven. Hello, temple of God. It is he who set each one of those dimensions, each one of those levels, each one of those layers, each one of those stores, he calls them there. He's got different dimensions in the spirit. But he's sitting on the throne and he wants you to get there. He wants you to get in the most holy place. Now watch this. Awesome God. The Bible says this. He built his stories in the heaven and hath found his troop in the earth. Hello, troop in the earth. He put his dimensions in the heavens, but he put his troop in the earth. Ooh, I'm an army. I'm looking at an army today. Ooh, hallelujah. And I'm in this earth right now, but I'm moving in dimensions in the heavenly. I'm moving in spheres. I'm moving in ascensions right now in the spirit because I can go beyond the law by the spirit. I can traverse time by the spirit. I can traverse dimensions by the spirit. I can traverse ascensions by the spirit. As long as I go beyond something, it no longer has an effect upon me. So God is telling me right here, That it is a move of God that brings salvation, but it's also a move of God that brings his judgment. Give God a hand clap of praise. And he put me in this earth to move in these dimensions in the spirit to be like a mighty army. Now watch this. I'm going to skip down here. i got to hurry. Verse 10, all the sinners of my people. See, we like to read all those parables. You know, the good fish, the bad fish. And we like to say the bad fish is the world. And we like to read the parable of the wheat and the tares. We like to say, well, the tares is the world and the wheat's God's people. I'm here to tell you, he's talking about his people. So every time God shows up, he shows up in a judgment type situation. But you can find redemption by the blood of Jesus. But if you want to stay a sinner, then and I don't want to say that, you know, that way. But all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. Now, that can be good news. If I let the word of God kill me and go to the foot of the cross and repent of my sins, that's, see, that's not always a bad thing. That's a good thing. But if I die without repenting, then I die without God. And he said, I'm still going to execute the sword there. He said, on my people. This is not about the us and them. It's about God's house. When God shows up in his house, 
he comes here sitting on his throne he inhabits the praises of his people he put his troop in the earth and he's the one who set dimensions in the heavens it's that same God that's come here today but he's standing on the altar and he's saying if you want to be redeemed let the word of God be like a sword taking your head off and bow your knee to my hand bow your knee to me and repent of that sin and get it under the blood so you can traverse so you can be on, go beyond the law that condemns you the only way to do that is to get in the spirit and if you're not in the spirit you cannot use your liberty for an occasion of the flesh brother Mark's going to read some stuff for me in just a minute but I want to show you something in that day verse 11 wow in that day say the day of the Lord the day of the Lord in the scripture is the seventh day what did he do on the seventh day he rested from all that he had made what did he do on the seventh day he ascended and sat on the throne this when it talks about that day it's talking about the day of the Lord now the day of the Lord according to James is not just something that's going to happen in the future the day of the Lord is here now in fact, there have been many days of the Lord. There's at least seven of them. You got six of them in the day of rest in the, in the book of Genesis. And they are all a pattern of the day of the Lord. It's His day. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? Woo, God's good. It's a time when God sits on his throne. It's a time when the cherubim's wings are flattering. It's a time when it sounds like a, a mighty rushing wind. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? It's a time when, whenever those cherubim would begin to flap their wings. And he rode upon the wings of the cherubim. He rode upon the Merkabah, the chariot of God. And so we see them. Their legs were moving so fast that they looked like wheels within a wheel. And everywhere they went, they carried the throne of God. And when they carried the throne of God in the book of Genesis, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the garden in the midst of the day. They heard those chariot wings rumbling they heard the chariot they knew God was coming in judgment there give God praise Woo. Woo. and so now Amos in this chapter 9 Woo. God's awesome the Bible says here awesome God in that day verse 11 will I raise up say that day in that day Ultimately, it's talking about the future kingdom age. But James takes this very passage and he applies it to Gentiles coming into the present kingdom of God. You've got to hear what I'm saying. These, Old Test these New Testament apostles and prophets are the infallible interpreters of the Old Testament. We like to put everything in a dispensation. I believe in dispensation to a point. But you don't put everything in a dispensation. There was a day of the Lord back in the garden. There was a day of the Lord in the day of Amos. There was a day of the Lord in the days when God set his church up. There's a day of the Lord that is coming. But I'm trying to tell you that a day of the Lord is a manifestation of God. It's when God manifests himself in a certain way. Woo. Why does he manifest himself that way? Sitting upon a throne to judge the sinner or to redeem them, restore them by his blood, those that will repent. Why does he show up that way? Because he wants to restore what was lost in the garden of Eden. You've got to hear what I'm saying. 
He wants to restore that. That's why he's going in the garden. In the, the Bible says, you know the, you know the story. When Adam sinned, the voice of the Lord walked in the garden in the midst of the day. Or the Spirit of the Lord walked in the garden in the midst of the day. That is a manifestation of God seeking to restore man back to the garden. You got, do you hear what I'm saying today? I'm trying to show you that the day of the Lord is a manifestation of God. So, whoo, hallelujah. Now, he goes on and he says this. He says, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen. Why was it fallen? Because of man's sin. Because God's people sinned against him. And so the tabernacle of David fell. In the tabernacle of David, you could condescend time. You could go beyond the law at the tabernacle of David all the way to New Testament, New Testament times. Because there, instead of bringing a blood sacrifice, you brought 24 hours of praise and worship in the Spirit. There in the tabernacle of David, you could worship God in spirit and in truth. The sacrifice having already been made. Only a throne in the tabernacle of David. Oh God, God's good. God's good. No altar of, uh, of sacrifice outside. It's already been done. So David's trying to show you right now. James is trying to show you right now that we are in the David tabernacle times right now. We are in a time where we've transcended. We've gone beyond the law. Now we're in the spirit. And we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Woo. He's awesome. The Bible said the tabernacle of David had fallen. Well, I want you to know right now, I want to take you beyond just the Old Testament, and I want to take you into the New Testament. Who is the true tabernacle? John 1 said this, Jesus is the true tabernacle. The Word, are you with me? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The Bible said in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the true tabernacle. God said, I'm going to raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen down. When Jesus came out of the grave, he was raised. He was fallen in death for me. But he went beyond the law. And he came up out of the grave. God raised the tabernacle of David, which was fallen down. When he raised up Jesus, who's a true tabernacle. And when he raised up Jesus, he raised up me. When he raised, and gee, James understood that. He, he says, you know what? He said when the true tabernacle was raised, Israel was raised in him. When the true tabernacle was raised, which was fallen down, raised, I'm talking about resurrected here. When he was resurrected, not only was Israel resurrected in him, but the Gentiles were resurrected in him. There's something beyond the condemnation of the law. Give God praise. The law that you're living by right now says you're fallen. But I'm here to tell you right now that God is here to raise the tabernacle of David which has fallen. 
There's something beyond your circumstance. Your circumstance has perimeters. It has laws. It confines you. It says you can't go any further than that. But I'm here to tell you, if you can get beyond the law of your circumstance or get beyond the law of your fallenness today, if you somehow can traverse by the Spirit, then the effects of that law that you're in has no power over you because as long as you're outside of its power it's lost its effect upon you so somehow in the spirit today if you can just move in the Holy Ghost you can get beyond the law of your circumstance the law of your fallenness the law of your failure that's what James is saying It's a day of the Lord type move. I don't have to wait for the kingdom age. I can experience it right now. When God shows up in the house, I can move in the spirit and traverse time, traverse law, traverse my circumstances, traverse my followers, traverse my failure. Give God praise. God raised me up if you don't believe that God can take you beyond the law that's what James is trying to show us here God can take you beyond the law by the finished work of Jesus and by the spirit of God and by water baptism he can take you beyond the law so that if you used to be an adulterer you come out of the water you're a brand listen new creation so when God comes in a day of the Lord type thing he's trying to bring about restoration and recreation and the restoration of the garden of Eden Ooh, give God praise a restoration of his glory upon people if you don't believe that God can take you beyond the law in its condemnation, then you need to ask a few people in the Bible. Why don't you go talk to Sarah? Sarah, the law said you can't have children, Sarah, because your womb is dead. The law says you're beyond age, Sarah. But God said, I can take you beyond law. I'll go beyond law. And I'll give you a supernatural child by the Spirit. I'll cause you to go beyond your barrenness. And I'll cause you to move in the spirit until you are with child and have a supernatural baby if you don't believe that God can take you beyond the law why don't you ask a man by the name of Moses who wrote the law we'll give God praise Moses walked up to the Red Sea one day and the law of nature says you can't split the Red Sea. The law of nature says you can't walk over on water. You can't walk on water. That's what the law says. Hallelujah. The law says that you weigh more than water does. Water will give way underneath the pressure of your body. But I want you to know right now there's somebody that can take you beyond the law. Just ask Moses. The Bible said that God went before him. The Spirit of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of God, a day of the Lord type manifestation went before his people and opened up the Red Sea and took them beyond the law, took them beyond the confinements, took them beyond the barriers, took them from beyond the boundaries of the law. Give God some praise here. 
You are living in a day of the Lord. Tad move of God right now. He's come to restore that which was fallen. He's come to restore the garden of Eden. He's come to restore the true temple of God. He wants to manifest his glory in the house. And doing that, you by the Spirit can go beyond the law. You don't believe me, do you? As long as I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm going beyond all types of boundaries and laws. I'm going beyond my confinement. I'm going beyond my failure. I'm going beyond my fallenness. And I'm raised because He was raised. Give God some praise. Are you ready, brother? Get, get ready. Listen, it's by the Spirit. Noah was brought into a new creation world by water. When that happened, a dove descended. When you talk about recreation moves of God, you, what do you have? A flying of the Spirit. You have a moving of the dove. You have a moving of the Spirit over those waters that bring about a recreation, a new creation. Come on. Give God praise. You don't believe that God can take you beyond the law, and I'm almost through. Hallelujah. Why don't you ask Daniel? The law of nature, the law of beasts says. Daniel, when you get thrown in this den of lions, the law says they're going to eat you up. But you see, God can take you beyond law. And though nature says, the law of, of beasts says, they're going to devour man. God said, no, I can take you beyond that and I'll shut the mouth of the lie. I want you to know you need to have a passion for something beyond the law. You need to move in the Spirit. He goes on and he says this, not only does he say, in that day, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen. Aren't you glad he raised you up when you fell? He said, I'm also going to close up the breaches. I'm going to heal the breaches. I'm going to bring them back together. That relationship between man and God. He said, I'm going to reconnect them back through Jesus Christ. God can do things for you the law can never do for you. The law can never heal your fallenness. It can never heal your, your breaches between God, your relationship. But Jesus came to bring it together. He goes on and he says this. Watch. I'll raise up its ruins. You've been ruined. He can raise you out of that ruin. I will build it as in the days of old. Hallelujah. <coughs> that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Edom is an enemy of God. But he said that they may possess the remnant of Edom. James picks that same, the same prophecy up that is ultimately going to be fulfilled in the kingdom age. And he says it's happening now. They will possess Edom. Literally what we have there, the Bible says men. James says men. Amos said Edom. Men. James said Adam. 
men. What he's saying is this, that men or Adam are going to come into the apostles in the church age. The Gentiles are flowing into the kingdom of God right now. They're coming to the apostles and in the kingdom age they will also flow. But he said it is God that does the work. So what he's saying here is this, that the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people, the Edomites, are also going to be swallowed up into the kingdom of God. They that were once enemies of God and his church are going to bow their knee to Jesus in this type of a day of the Lord manifestation. The Bible said they shall be willing and obedient in the day of his power. And so not only are the Edomites going to come down and be defeated literally, but God says they're going to be defeated spiritually by coming into my kingdom and bowing their knee to the true king. So when I preach to you about Old Testament prophets and how they apply to us today, don't look at me like you fell out of a tree. When I preach Daniel 70 weeks in the light of Messiah Jesus and not Antichrist, some of you thought I was crazy, but I'm here to tell you I'm in the day of the prophets. Because I'm moving in the spirit. And you don't have to die. Physically and literally. You can die spiritually. An enemy of God. And be swallowed up in the kingdom of God. Adam. The old Adam. Comes into the kingdom of God. When it bows his knee to Jesus Christ. And his finished work. Now watch. He goes on and says this. They may possess the ruin of Edom. And all the heathen which are called by my name. Say all the heathen. That's us, which are called by my name. See, what took me beyond law was when I got called by his name. What took me beyond law is understanding the godness of God. What God hath done, what God hath done in filling me with the Spirit. He took me beyond law. I'm talking about his condemnation. Here we go. I've been called by the name of the Lord. I understand that he is God. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. See, people could not believe that this God who moves in judgment in a day of the Lord type move is also the same God that just like that, just like that, can become a God of hope. Just like that. They couldn't see this God that was going to bring all this judgment on them as a God that was going to be the God of restoration and the God of recreation. And he talks about vines here. He talks about wine here. Why is he talking like that? Because he wants you to understand that he's saying, I'm going to restore the Garden of Eden. Hello, Eden of God. Hello, recreated Eden of God. Hello, all people of God. You are the Eden of God. You are the temple of God. You are a fulfillment, a manifestation of this day of the Lord type move. I'm looking at you right now. You move in the spirit. You go beyond confinement by the spirit. You move in a top. You're in an Eden type situation. You're in a glory type situation because of his death. You've gone from the wilderness. 
into an Eden type situation in the spirit. You got the point here? We tread our grapes, and the source see the mountain shall drop sweet wine, all the hills shall melt. I will bring in the captivity of my people Israel. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the food of them. And I will put them upon their land. They shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Brother, Brother Mark, read these scriptures. This is Galatians 5.1 and 5.7 and then 5.17 through 21. Watch this. Read it, brother. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. All right. Galatians was written during this time in Acts. He said, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Which, what is he saying there? He is not saying, like so many teach, that the church is not supposed to teach the law of God or the instruction of God. It is not saying that a church is not to preach holiness there. It is not saying that when a man preaches holiness, that that puts you under bondage. That's what the world says. And that's what the church world says. That you're in bondage. That's not true. He's not talking about here the law of God or the word of God being bondage. He's not saying holiness is bondage. What he's saying is this is stand fast in the freedom or in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. What he's telling these Galatians is this. Don't go back to what God delivered you from. Your standing is in obedience and discipline. Where is your standing in God? Obedience and discipline. You go back to what you came out of. You enter back into the yoke of bondage of the flesh. You are now bound by the flesh once again. And the judgment of God comes upon the sinners of his people. That's why you need to stay in the freedom and the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. But what does he say about the flesh? And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Be not entangled with the yoke of bondage. He's, something about the occasion of the flesh. Going down. Seven. On seven. You did run well. Who did not hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Okay. Anyway, in there he talks about don't be subject. Don't come under subjection. Don't give this or use this liberty for an occasion of the flesh. Yeah, you're free in Christ. It is a finished work. But if you go back to what God delivered you from, then you enter into bondage again. There's a lot of people sitting in churches that have been filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, but they're bound. They're bound by the laws of their ruin. They're bound by the laws of their breach. They're bound by the laws of their circumstance. They no longer are moving in the Spirit. They've used their liberty for an occasion of the flesh, bringing bondage. They're bound. Go ahead. Go ahead. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary. And the these one, things are contrary. The one to the, the other. One to the other. Okay. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So that you cannot do the things that you would. Go ahead. But, but if ye be led by the spirit. Ah, if you be led by the spirit. Then you go beyond the bondage of your flesh. You go beyond the condemnation of the law. Listen to me. That's how you get beyond it. It's by the Spirit and it's by baptism. Go ahead. You are not under the law. 
What now did the it say? Of the Back up and read this. Watch. But if ye be led by the Spirit. But if you're led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. You're not under the law. Stop. If you're not led by the Spirit this morning, you, have, you are back under the law. And all that's coming to you is the condemnation of the law. That's why you got to keep walking in the Spirit to go beyond the law. you got to understand, first of all, be baptized, Galatians 3, to even put on Christ. But you got to be led by the Spirit to traverse beyond the law. If you're not led by the Spirit this morning, you're automatically under the bondage, yoke and bondage of the flesh again and have the condemnation of the law working on you. Hmm. Awesome. Read. Read. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery. Quickly, real fast. Adultery. Adultery, mm. fornication, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, <coughs> emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I have told you in the past, that, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you include that statement right there, there are 18 kings of the flesh right there. Six, six, six. If you give yourself to the flesh, you are under the mark of the beast. Six, six, six. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law of your flesh. You're no longer under the law, the condemnation of the law. God's good. On, you got any more to read? What is the last part of that verse is? And you shall not enter in? Uh, that, that they which do such things shall not inherit the they kingdom of God. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom. Say the kingdom of God. It doesn't say you're not going to heaven. What it says is you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a dimension, a sphere, an ascension. Now, it could be that you don't make it to heaven. And in fact, I don't think you can make it to heaven doing all of that stuff. <laughs> but I'm trying to show you what the Bible said. It doesn't say you won't go to heaven. That's not the way it's worded. It said you won't enter into the kingdom of God. You can't be living in sin. You can't be doing what God delivered you from. And be moving in the stories of the heavens, the spheres of God in the heavens. And ultimately move into that dimension, the throne of God. You cannot do it. It is impossible. It limits you. Because if you were to walk into that throne room in that type of lifestyle without the blood covering you. Right there. Be over. Hello. Are you with me right now? Amen. Amen. Ah, uh, yeah, this is, this is, this Amen. is, this is good, this is good. Say, in the Spirit. In the Spirit. I'm going to close. You can go beyond the law. It's condemnation, seeking to be righteous by it. But, if you go back into the works of the flesh that God delivered you from, you're no longer walking in freedom. You are walking in bondage. But the way to get beyond that is by the Spirit. So no matter what 
I am going through, no matter what I'm seeing, no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter what those parameters are that are around me right now, in the Spirit, I can step out of them. In the Spirit, I can go beyond them. I'm not limited by them. But if I stay back in or go back under what God delivered me from, then I become bound again by those parameters. And their power and their authority over me are in effect that moment. That's why so many Christians are defeated. Because you cannot live victorious if you're defeated inside. You can only go to heaven if heaven's in you. You can only go to hell if hell's in you. And you can't be victorious if you don't have victory in you. But you can't be defeated if all you got's in you is victory. But there are things always, those laws always coming back to try to bring you back in there, make you bound to them. The yoke of the flesh, etc. You got to get out of that. Say, no, God, I, tonight, today I've had enough of my flesh. I've had enough of that bondage. I've had enough of that condemnation. I've had enough of that guilt. I'm going to the one who's standing upon the altar right now. I'm believing I can be taken in to your kingdom right now in the spirit and ultimately in the future is what James is saying. You can experience that kind of day of the Lord thing now. In John 1 and 2, if you were to turn there, and I'm not going to because I don't have time, but the same thing is, is, is repeated over and over in the Word of God. The restoration, restoration, restoration of the kingdom over and over. John 1 and 2, there is a picture of seven days there. With me? Third day, Jesus goes, there's a wedding feast on the third day. The third day is the, in, in our time is the same as the seventh day. But we start with John in the wilderness. Say the wilderness. Picture of fallen man. John in the wilderness one day. Keep on going. Then we see Jesus come on the scene. He says, blessed is he are you with me here? Who comes in the name of the Lord? I think that's, am I in a different? I think I'm in the right word. <laughs> but watch this. Watch what he does. Jesus there is baptized in water. A picture of recreation. John preaching on that one day in the wilderness. We see a picture of recreation taking place. With me here? What does he do after he's Water baptized. There's a wedding feast on the third day. What he's doing there is he is going to rebuild his temple and Garden of Eden in this earth. He goes on and he, he says, destroy this temple and three days I'll raise it up. Because I'm going to get rid of this natural so I can bring in my true spiritual Garden of Eden temple. You've got all that recreation picture there. And what does it ultimately say about him? Let's, let me read it to you. 
and they should go home. John 1, or John 2, here we go. In John chapter 2, Tells you about his destroying the temple. Hmm? No, I'm, t- I'm looking for the glory. Is it 19? No. 19, he's talking about raising up the temple again, just like we're talking about Amos. He's talking about raising up that temple. Ah, where is that? Yeah, verse 11. John 2, 11. What is all, why is all this happening in these chapters? Are you with me here? Why do we have John preaching out in a wilderness? Why do we have Jesus being baptized there? So recreation can be seen. There are seven days in these chapters. When you come to the second chapter, then you've got a marriage phase. God is what he's doing then. He's now showing you that this recreation produces a bride. And this bride is to produce or is what for? What is the purpose of it? Look at it in verse... 11. This, the beginning of Jesus, of, of miracles, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. It's so that his glory can be manifest. And his disciples believed on him. And right after that, he starts talking about destroying this temple, his body. Before all of this even, even is going on, he's talking about his death. Is what's going to bring it about. So James understands what God is doing. He's restoring what Adam lost in the garden. He's bringing in. Come on. He's bringing in a new garden of Eden. A new temple of God. Where the glory of God is manifest. Where the glory of God is seen. And it's way beyond law. It's way beyond confinements. It's way beyond boundaries. As long as you walk in the spirit. That's why I want to keep walking in the Spirit. That's why I've got a passion beyond the law. Hallelujah. Jesus says, don't tell me I can't, I can't touch this man that's got leprosy. I'm beyond the law. I'm great. He says, I'm greater than the law. Be cleansed. Don't tell me I can't let this woman come and touch me. And let her tears drop on my feet. And let her dry my feet with her hair. Don't tell me I can't let her touch me. I'm beyond the law. I'm the fulfillment of the law. Are you with me? See, you've got to be able to see yourself beyond where you are now. You've got to see yourself where God wants to take you right now, or you'll never get there. You, I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. You have to see yourself victorious. You have to see yourself beyond poverty level. You have to see yourself reigning. 
the reign of the king is when he's sitting on the throne, the rule of the king, when, when, you know what I'm saying, when he's actually making decisions. If you're going to reign and rule in this life, you've got to make decisions that get you beyond where you are now. You've got to see yourself beyond the confinements of the situation you're in. If you can't see it, you will stay there forever thinking that's God's will for you. In Amos chapter 9, God shows us all these blessings that God's going to bring about as a result of Him, His work. And it's talking about the fruit of the vine. It's talking about blessing, talking about wine. God never speaks disparagingly. Is that disparagingly or down? Despairingly or whatever. Help me. I'm not good with big words. Despairingly. He never puts down blessing. Never. In his word. God is the giver of good things. And you have to see yourself beyond the confinement of your law. Raised from your ruin. Raised from your breaches. Raised from your fallenness. If you don't see yourself beyond where you are now. You'll never go beyond the law. Because you don't even know where God wants to take you. And that's my job. In closing, in preaching, is to do my very best to try to get you out of where you are now, no matter how far you've come, and get you to move in the spheres of the stories of God, the levels of God, to get you beyond the law of your confinement by the Spirit of a living God, walking victorious, overcoming, say overcoming, by the power of God. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, I worship you right now and I praise you. I thank you today. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're awesome, Lord. I praise you, God, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the blood, the finished work, the spirit of the living God that takes me beyond the law of my present situation. God, I love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to let you go. You ever notice something when you come in here, you've been fighting all week, you're down, you're discouraged, and you're depressed. And some of you still are when you leave. But I want you to know this, that the sun is where you get energy. Sun is where energy comes from. Sun goes into the plants. That's why a plant can die and fall to the ground. You pick it up, and it's, it's, it's got, you can put fire to it, and it'll burn, burn, burn. Because there's energy inside of the wood, even when it's fallen. Where did the energy come from? It came from the sun. What I'm trying to tell you is this. You come in here one way. You might feel fallen and dead and dry and no good and condemned. And the law is pointing a finger at you. But I'm telling you how to get beyond that. And what I'm trying to show you is that there is an energy in this house. That is invisible energy. And when it enters inside of you. That's why you can't do it on your own. You got to come in here where energy is, where light is, where glory is. And when you absorb that in your spirit, it takes you beyond law. You walk out of here victorious and powerful and anointed because the energy of God has moved in you. Can't make it on your own. I love you. Good night. Goodbye. We'll see you tonight. Have I got a message for you tonight? I've got a message for you tonight that is life changing. It's changed my life. The title of it is this. The Moping Eagle. When the eagle mopes.
when the eagle mopes. It changed my life. When the eagle mopes. And I want to tell you why. Because I know what I preach. What I preach tonight is me. And that's why I can preach it. When the eagle mopes. Oh, God's good. God has a way of bringing truth to you that'll deliver you when you need it the most. So come back tonight and hear the message when the eagle mopes, and it will change your life for the rest of your life. I love y'all. We'll see y'all tonight. That is, if God doesn't change my mind.